Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. Our guest is very familiar to those of you who are on social media. And if you're not on social media, you're going to want to hear what he has to say. We're joined by Jason Haynes, the superintendent at Pender Harbor Golf Club in British Columbia. Pender Harbor is a nine-hole golf course, and it's becoming known around the world because some of the stuff that Jason is doing and some of the stuff that Jason puts on social media. Jason is very open with his maintenance practices, and he's very accommodating with his time, so we're excited that he was able to carve out close to an hour to speak with us. And Jason will also be speaking at the Golf Industry Show in San Antonio. He's involved in three presentations, which is remarkable for a superintendent of a nine-hole course in Western Canada to get those type of speaking opportunities, and they're well-deserved. So we thank Jason for joining us, and we hope you enjoy listening to the person behind the Turf Hacker blog. Jason, thank you so much for taking some time to join us. The first thing I have to ask you is, how would you describe yourself? I've seen you been described as a rebel, grass killer, minimalist, renegade, turf hacker. How would you describe yourself in your own words? Well, maybe my, my favorite of those is maybe grass killer, but <laughs> I don't like to take myself too seriously. So, I mean, that's a good, uh, a good description um, of, of me generally. Um, is, uh, I mean, longer you're in the industry, the more grass you're going to kill. And, and uh, I mean, uh, I've killed a lot of grass, so it's, uh, it's something I like to... Uh, to joke around with my members and then other superintendents that uh, we're, all, we're all a bunch of grass killers and, and uh, that's all we can really do. But, uh, I mean, other people, I don't know what they think of me. Minimalist, um, I mean, it's kind of getting a little bit old, but, uh, um, and uh, because, I mean, it kind of carries the connotation that, that what I'm doing is the bare minimum. And, and you know, especially when you talk about, like, uh, Turf grass quality or conditions, and uh, I mean that's that could be uh, you know can be further from the truth. Um, but uh, having said that, um, I can see why people would would consider me to be a minimalist. Well, you bring up a good point. You say you don't take yourself too seriously. How important is it in a stressful job like being a golf course superintendent having that sense of humor? Uh, it's it's uh, I mean it's pretty important. I mean uh, you, I mean when they, you know, somebody comes up to you with a complaint, I mean you can take it two ways. You can get mad about it, or you can you can kind of you know obviously take it seriously, but uh, you can also you can laugh about the the, uh, the the not so great things, um, you know, especially when grass dies and stuff. So, what is Pender Harbor like this time of year? And from what I understand, you have a ton of people around you all day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, uh, uh, if uh, anybody follows me on Twitter, they probably notice that I tweet like probably a thousand times more this time of year because uh, there's nobody around here. We're uh, in the actual town of Pender Harbor. It's uh, historically kind of a fishing and logging community, but um, those have kind of gone to the wayside and now it's tourism. So in the summer, in the wintertime, there's nothing happening here. Uh, uh, there's no real winter uh, tourism to speak of so i mean on the golf course today i think uh we've had four people so far and it's it's like noon and that'll probably be it for the day that's four people uh-huh. and i'm the only person on staff other than i mean we have somebody in the pro shop but but uh, they they're you know uh only open for a few hours a day uh, it's just me pretty uh pretty slow 
What is it like being the only person in your department this time of year? Is it weird or strange or is it something you've gotten used to? I think a lot of us like interaction with other people. What is it like not necessarily having that during the course of a workday? Uh, it's good and bad. Um, I mean, the other superintendent just down the road, we kind of joke about that. You know, when we, this time of year when we have no staff, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of nice because you don't really have to you know, worry about anybody else but yourself. Um, so, I mean, you kind of just, uh, it's a good time to unwind uh, because we don't have very many staff in the summer either. So, I mean, kind of work ourselves almost to death in the summer. And then uh, it's nice to kind of just unwind and, and take a break and not have to worry about too much. Um, but, you know, having said that, it would be nice to have some help so we could actually get, you know, more things accomplished in the wintertime because, uh, I mean, we don't really get a true winter here. So it means it's a perfect time to get new projects. Um, but with only one person, there's only so much you can do. So, you know, What's the winter like uh, climate-wise in British Columbia, and what are some of the things you can do with just one person there? Well, I mean, uh, where I am on the south coast of B.C., um, it's the most temperate climate in the country, so we don't get super hot and we don't get super cold. Um, it's very similar to Seattle, maybe a little bit um, cooler, a little bit, a little bit harsher, um, but not by much. I mean, what we, the one thing we get that Seattle doesn't get as much of is the outflow winds in the winter. So we get a lot of our Arctic outflow. Will be a little bit, a little bit colder, um, really wet, and uh, and snow is rare here. Um, although, I mean. I look up my window right now, and on the top of the mountain beside my course, there's, I mean, 10 feet of snow. So, I mean, and that's, I mean, if I had to hike there, it'd be an hour walk, and I'd be in 10 feet of snow. But right now, there's, there's no snow to speak of on the course. What is a day like for Jason Haynes in the, in the winter? Kind of take us through what you try to do from the time you get to work till the time you get home with being the only person there. I try to be productive. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I'll, uh, I'll come into work. I, I mean, there's no real rush to get anything done on this uh, prep course prep here. Um, just because, I mean, even the golfers that we do have, they don't really start till 10 a.m. So, come in, uh, check the social media, um, and, and then basically get at her, um, uh, whether it's uh, equipment maintenance, grinding, um, or just projects out in the course, free work. Um, or spot spring disease, or, or uh, you know, I, I basically we just I just try to take it easy and and, uh, and make sure that the things that I do do are uh, that they count. Uh, but at the same time, I don't I don't really or I can't um, push myself that hard this time of year just because uh, I really need to, to take the time to to recover from the summer. So when do things ramp up at Pender Harbor? When do you get a crew and what is the early stage of the season like? Um, I usually bring in uh, the additional staff mid-March. Um, so I'll bring in my, my I have a 25-year employee, um, and he's awesome. So he comes in mid-March, and, uh, and then we can start uh, doing a few of the projects that uh, require um, more than one person. Uh, but, I mean, we really don't start growing grass here till the end of April. So we got about a month month and a half of, of kind of just projects that we do. Um, and then usually mid-April to, to uh, early May, I'll bring in another full-time seasonal staff member, um, ideally. And then uh, and then for the two summer months, I'll have uh, like a student, hope, you know, ideally. Again, this is all, 
all best case. <laughs> um, reality doesn't always reflect what, what I would like to have. So, uh, And then we keep the staff on until kind of the end of October, and then we pretty much shut her down. Uh, I mean, we're officially open, but, but again, there's, there's almost no play here. So I know the superintendents in Seattle are having a hard time finding reliable and affordable labor. What's the situation like for you on the other side of the border? It's, it's very similar. I mean, uh, the affordability here is um, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I'm the highest paid person on the golf course, and I can, I, I can barely afford to live here. Um, I mean, as it is, we're, we're kind of going backwards financially. Um, and so I, I don't understand actually how my staff even do it. So, I mean, I, I work really hard to try to pay them as much as we can. Um, I'd rather have less staff than get uh, a living wage. Um, having a bunch of guys that are underpaid. Um, but even then, um, I've had a really hard time having uh, uh, attracting staff and uh, and keeping them simply because, I mean, there's there's, I mean, there's nowhere to rent. And, and then places that are available to rent are just astronomical. When you're spending over half of your income on, on rental, um, it doesn't leave much more for, for anything else. And, um I mean, I've had I've had staff in the past that couldn't find a place to live, and we're we're actually camping. Um, and the, I mean, that doesn't I mean it doesn't matter how good of a staff member or how good your work is or how much you're getting paid. If you're camping, um, and then and, and then also working, I mean, it's just it's, it's no way to live, and and and, and obviously it, it just doesn't last. From reading your blog and seeing some of your posts on social media, last year was really challenging for you labor-wise. How many people did you have, and what were some of the strategies you adopted to get work done on a regular basis? Well, we started off with uh, myself and two full-time seasonal staff members. Um, but like I said, uh, the affordability was a challenge, so I lost one of the people um, early in the season. So that, that essentially cut my labor force by 30% unexpectedly. And, uh, I mean, I put out job postings everywhere I could think of. Um, I didn't have a single application, and uh, I mean we're offering uh, five dollars over minimum wage, um, full time work. I had zero applications. That was tough. So I, I mean, doesn't doesn't matter uh, uh, what the outside is, you know, influences or or uh, the situation is. You still have a job to get done. So uh, kind of um, you know just looked at. What was really the most important, and just focused uh, on that, you know, prioritized, and 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 just made sure that when we were here, we were being as productive as we could be. Um, without without, I mean, I didn't want to burn out my my one remaining guy or myself. So I mean, we just um, focused on that, tried not to burn ourselves out, and uh, and and just it was kind of survival mode. And then um, and then it was actually kind of a, a really cool thing that happened was uh, we had crazy wildfires in the province. I mean, everywhere, you know, everybody's hearing about these wildfires. But we had to evacuate an entire city of, like, I think over 10,000 people. So I put a call out on Twitter to, um, to if anybody was evacuated, any greenskeepers, if they wanted to come and stay in Pender Harbor, we would house them and pay them until that they were allowed to go back. And uh, I did this on a Friday. And Monday morning, I had a greenskeeper in the pro shop. <laughs> so I got a good, got a phone call from the pro shop. Hey, there's someone here that wants to work for you. So I went in and I phoned up his uh, his employer and uh, had a great 
great review and uh, or great reference. And uh, it actually turned out this this fellow, his sister lived in Panda Harbor, so and uh, so I had I got about uh, you know a few weeks of work out of him, and but really it was early August. It really saved us and uh, helped him out a lot. Otherwise, he would have uh, you know been out about been out a, a few weeks worth of income. And uh, so that worked, and I didn't have to train the guy. I mean, he was, he was fantastic. So that that was really nice, and uh, kind of made a the best out of a really bad situation, um, labor-wise, and uh, for both of us, and uh, it was great. So, and then and then we kind of just uh, after he left, we just kind of kept it simple and, and uh, minimal, and we uh, we we survived. So, you're not afraid to try new things how much of that is out of necessity and how much is because of your personality uh it's probably a bit of both i mean uh when, when, when the recession in 2008 hit us i mean it took a couple of years for it to get up here but when it did it was it was hard i mean we ran out of money in october um one year and so it was kind of like holy holy smokes we need to we need to do something here so i i mean i sat down with our financial director and i said well how much money can you guarantee that I can spend next year? Gave me a number, and we built the budget around that. And uh, so I was kind of forced to uh, to, to look at things and um, you know, ways that we could save money. And, and, and I kind of went in with the attitude that we need to save money, but we can't compromise quality. We can't we can't really defer maintenance per se. I mean, I don't want to have to uh, you know cut back for four or five years and then have to spend a huge amount just to make up for the the the, the uh, neglect per se, so we didn't we couldn't do that, and uh, so I mean it kind of forced me to try some new things, and um, and I mean it worked out great. I mean we were able to find a lot of ways to save money and um, and actually move forward through the recession, and, and I mean we've kind of emerged on the other side um, better off than we entered actually. So um, it's it's been kind of a fun and interesting journey. So besides getting through last year with a small staff, you also got to speak at GIS, experienced winter damage on the golf course, recovered from that, only spent $130 on fertilizer, according to your blog, and got to travel to some cool places giving presentations. What was last year like for you, and is that maybe the most memorable year of your career so far? Yeah, I mean, it was certainly the most memorable year. Um, It was the hardest year by far. I mean, I stepped kind of out of my comfort zone in a lot of ways. Um, but at the same time, I had a lot of success with the changes that we had made. Um, they really paid off, um, you know. Uh, so it was it was really good. I mean, the golf industry show I'd never been before, and I was asked to come as a speaker. Um, that was unbelievable. I mean, uh, it, it's a huge show, and it's really well done. Um, and... Uh, and because of like social media, I mean, I, there were just so many people to talk to, and it was just—I mean—I learned so much from everybody. Um, I mean, I really didn't expect that, but you know, when you when you're rubbing shoulders with you know hundreds of other you know uh, really keen superintendents, um, I mean, it's hard not to learn something. So it was really um, really cool. And I mean, yeah, I got to travel to uh, also got to go um, and speak at our local. Uh, national show, which was really neat. Um, I've, I've, you know, I attend every time it, it comes to this part of the country, and and so it was neat to be a speaker there. Um, uh, and uh, I mean, 
it's really cool to see a lot of people that I've always looked up to in, in my career and then they're, you know, attending the seminar that I'm putting on and it was kind of kind of mind blowing. And uh and then we kinda of finished off the year uh in Ireland, went to a, their their conference. And um that was my first time leaving North America. And so that was crazy. And then uh, on the way home we stopped in Iceland and and also did a, a talk for the, the greenskeepers there. And that was just it was unbelievable, and it was especially um, awesome because I got to bring my wife along with me. And uh, so, I mean, we'd never, we'd never even went on a honeymoon. I mean, we could just never afford it. And um, so we we dug deep, and, and and I brought her along, and it was uh, it was really really uh, something that we'll probably remember for the rest of our lives. It was really really awesome. I think all of us adventurous types dream of going to Iceland, getting the hike, getting the meet the people, and maybe throwing back a few beers. What was it like interacting with those guys and being in that country? Uh, oh, man. I mean, I want to go back, like, so bad. It is, it is, it was, uh, I mean, we're, I mean, everywhere else I've gone has been has been amazing as well. But, I mean, Iceland is just so different. But it's also very, I mean, it was also very comfortable. I mean, because everybody there speaks perfect English. Um, they drive on the right side of the road. So I mean, not like Ireland where it's all ass backwards. It's uh, <laughs> and uh, but I mean, it was just like flying in. It's just like it's just barren. There's nothing. I mean, there's nothing there. And I, that's what I mean. That's what I'm kind of used to here. Although I mean, it's a little bit more claustrophobic with the, the you know, 200 foot trees. But it was just it was just like a moonscape. It was so interesting. Um, the people there, are like the nicest people. And I mean, when you see these these polls and studies or or um, or statistics that you know Iceland is the they're the happiest, the safest, the nicest, um, gender equality, all this stuff. I mean, it, it's true. It's it's unbelievable, and uh, and they're also golf fanatics, which I mean, most people don't know. Um, they have seventy golf courses for only three hundred and thirty thousand people. More, I think there's a golf one golf course for every fifteen thousand people. There's a lot of courses, and uh, I mean, it's not coming for a, a course there to have many thousands of members. So that was a surprise to me. They're golf fanatics and, uh, and, uh, and they're good at what they do. So it was, it was really cool to see. Did you get a chance to reflect on your career? I mean, here you are, somebody that's managing a nine-hole course in Western Canada, getting all these opportunities. Was there a point last year, like, maybe you were thinking, wow, this is really happening? I'm not really sure what it means. I mean, I mean it's, a, it's a big honor um, to speak at these. I mean, typically I see, like, a career is, is something that you make money at. <laughs> but, I mean, I mean I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not, certainly not done. And, and I mean, it, it's, it's really incredible that, I mean, uh, that I can, and can go around and, and, and visit so many people and, and, talk, and talk to so many people and maybe even, I mean, teach somebody something. Um, uh, so, I mean, I, I constantly think about that, how lucky, lucky I am. And, uh, and, and I think about it a lot. I mean, uh, why am I here? What is my purpose? Um, and, uh, and it, 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 yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of people I think would, would kind of, um, you know, a nine hole golf course in the middle of nowhere with a low budget. I mean, they would kind of think that's kind of a dead end, um, dead end position in it. And, uh, I haven't really taken that approach to to my job. Uh, so yeah, it's been been fun. What has social media meant to your career? I mean, you're very 
active on Twitter. You have an outstanding blog. How have those two platforms helped you? Part of, I mean, like that last question, um, it's helped me kind of get my uh, my voice out there. Um, and I, I mean, and it, the same is true for many other uh, greenskeepers. Um, so I mean, it, it kind of, even though it's it's not equal and fair. I mean, it's it still has its um, people have certain advantages over other people on social media, but but it does give the people um, uh, that wouldn't normally have a voice uh, an opportunity to essentially voice their opinions. And whether that's a good or a bad thing, I don't know. But I mean, it's kind of interesting. I mean, and then and then also like reflecting on my on my career, I don't think I would still be in the golf industry if it wasn't for um, for social media and and all the and it's not just social media; it's the people on the social media, the other superintendents. Um, I mean, because again, I mean, before that recession hit, um, it was it was a tough. I mean, we were just spending money; we weren't thinking too much. Really, it was honestly quite boring, um, you know, just throwing money at problems and um, and and kind of just doing the same thing every year. Um, and then, I mean, I got on social media, and and it was just like, I mean, it was like getting hit by a truck. It was like, holy smokes, I don't know anything what I'm doing. And um, and there's like, I mean. And then, you, and then I kind of learned about these people who are doing like minimalism and embracing it, and and then and then that kind of helped me uh, appreciate my situation and and realize that I have a lot to be thankful for for where I am. And uh, spending uh, a small amount of money isn't isn't a bad thing necessarily. I mean, um, there was guys. I mean, there still are guys getting. I mean, amazing conditions with next to no resources and. Um, that was really inspiring to me and kind of set me off on uh, the, you know the theme of my blog and and just the, the journey of I mean really enjoying where I am and what I'm doing and trying to make the most of, of my situation um, and uh, and then I mean I mean when you when you love something as much as like I do um, it's hard not to share it with everybody and uh, I mean it's not easy certainly um, but but I mean I just can't help it, so I'm, you know, I have a really nerdy blog about ideas of how to how I grow grass. I mean, it's it's kind of haywire, um, but it's been a lot of fun. And, and social media has been, I mean, it has been key. I mean, especially because I don't have a, any any uh, trained help, so there's nobody to bounce ideas off of, um, at my course. So I have an idea. I shoot it out there, and I mean, I have 4,600 assistants essentially that can give me their opinion, and 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 then you can you can learn from their experience and and you know make the, a better decision the first time. And so that's been how I've used it, I think. Um, and uh, so overall, it's been very positive. Many of us on social media forget that there are many people in the business that aren't on social media. Where can people find your blog and? Twitter handle. I'm going to give you a chance for a plug here. Yeah, I mean, uh, my Twitter handle is at, at PenderSuper, uh, one word. And my blog is www.turfhacker.com. And what I would recommend is if you're new to Twitter, is before you follow me or anybody else, make sure you have a profile picture and you up, update your um, description. Just put your greenskeeper or your grow grass 
because otherwise I probably won't follow you back. And uh, I mean, that's the biggest point of Twitter. I mean, a lot of people use it differently, but for me, the biggest point is to interact with other people, see what they're doing. And if they don't, they don't follow you back, you're not going to get that interaction. So uh, if you do those two things, I think you'll, you'll, I mean, I'll definitely follow you back if you say that and uh, on your, on your uh, thing. And, and then, I mean, there's also people that also like just to creep, so they just follow a whole bunch of people and they don't actually interact at all. They just read what other people are doing, and that's fine, too. I think it's just, it, it's not negative at all. It is just somebody who's, like, they're just peeking at seeing what people are doing, but they don't, they don't, they don't actually um, write anything on Twitter. And, I mean, which is totally understandable because, I mean, uh, it's public. And, I mean, unless you have a, a closed account. So, I mean, if you're worried about, uh, things that you say and, and coming back to bite you, then and I certainly wouldn't I'd be a, I'd be a more of a creeper. And then the, I mean, then there's the whole troll thing, which is uh, a whole other ball, you know, another kind of can of worms. Um, and luckily, there's not that much of it. I, I mean, uh, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but but uh, I've been able to shut a lot of that out. Now, the turf world is uh, mild when it comes to trolling. As somebody that used to cover a college football team, I can say that golf course superintendents and the people in our industry are very civil on social media. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, every once in a while you get a bad apple, but they usually don't last too long. And uh, um, because, again, I mean, it's, it's public. Um, so it's, uh, it's and, 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 I mean, the turf grass community now on, on Twitter is huge. It's, uh, it's, it's massive. So um, can't get away with what you used to be able to do anyway, that's for sure. Your presentations at GIS last year were a rousing success. There were packed rooms. People were talking about them. People were tweeting about them. You're going back to the golf industry show this year. What what do you have planned for San Antonio? Similar thing. Um, I'm doing a, another talk with uh, Larry Stoll from Pace Turf about the MLSN and growth potential fertilizer. So it's a that's a four hour seminar, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, I mean, as somebody who you know from the middle of middle of nowhere golf course, small time, to, to then doing a co-presentation with somebody who developed fertilizer guidelines for the golf course industry is kind of mind-blowing. And uh, so, I mean, that's incredible. And then, and then the people that attend these conferences, I mean, it's also mind-blowing. So. so I'm doing that. I'm also doing a talk, um, a two-hour talk about minimalism. And, I mean, again, that word, minimalism, a lot of these, I mean, it's kind of funny, all these different uh, conferences I attend, they all have, like, different kind of um, agendas, per se. So they title, title, your, uh, title your presentations, they, they change them slightly. So, anyways, um, it, 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 that talk's mostly just about um, all of the things that I love about my job, the embracing um, not, not having a huge amount of resources, embracing that, going with it, and, and um, I think people that attend that We'll see the passion that I have, and hopefully it will rub off on them and and help them make the most of their positions. Um, uh, because, I mean, um, I think that's a problem problem in the industry right now is, is satisfaction. Uh, people kind of feel like they're, you know, whether they're in a dead end or there's no, no room for improvement, and, and I think that could be further from the truth. That's what that talks about. And then I'm also... Uh, sitting on a panel with a bunch of other um, very capable and uh, well-respected social media greenskeepers and turfgrass industry professionals. We'll talk about
and then uh, yeah, I'll be going around and hanging out and talking to as many people as I can to try to feel their good ideas, like I always do. In your presentation about the MLSN, how much are you going to include about spending just 130 bucks on fertilizer last year? Well, I mean, the 130 dollars that was just for uh, N, P, and K on one acre of putting greens. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's part of it, and I mean. The MLSN and growth potential, it's not necessarily about spending the less, the least amount of money. Um, it's about applying what the plant needs, minimizing waste, and, and then just kind of simplifying something that's kind of been overcomplicated in our industry. And so that's what it's about. It's just about just getting back to basics, simplifying, and, and some people will save a lot of money. Now, on the other hand, that, that's the $130 thing, um, kind of a funny story. Um, Last year, it was about this time of year, uh, I get a phone call from the superintendent next door. He's like, hey, I think uh, I think I got you a really good deal on fertilizer. And uh, I was like, yeah, okay, what's, what's that? So he gives me this phone number. I phone this person, and she's like, yeah, we got a, a bunch of extra fertilizer. They were they were fertilizing forest, for forestry, and they bought uh, 40 bags too much. And I was like, well, what, what kind of fertilizer is it? And she's like, I don't really know. And uh, oh, I said, can you phone me back when you... She's like, oh, it's 4600. So it's urea, which is, I mean, the, the main uh, nitrogen component of my, my fertilizer. And um, so I said, oh, uh, you know, I'd be happy to, to uh, pay what you paid for it and just take it off your hands. So I asked her, what did you pay for it? And, and the price that she gave me was 30% less than what I paid. And the other superintendent who let me onto this, he knew that already. And... Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if you remember the IKEA commercial where like the woman is like leaving the store and like like she she got such a good deal that she felt like she's stealing and she's like start the car and she's like you know running like we got to get out of here before they get to their senses. That's why people go to IKEA every week. Yeah, I mean, so like I was like, I was I don't know if I've ever moved that quick. I uh, I like got on my bike because I don't have a truck. I went over to my dad's house. I just didn't even ask him. I just took his truck. And I was down there within, like, a half hour, like, hand-bombing the stuff in. Here's the cash. Like, I'm out of here. So, I mean, it was it was kind of funny. I mean, 30% savings. So, uh, it, it was, it, you know, kind of funny because I already spend a lot. And, and then this other, you know, my friend, uh, he was kind of just kind of, he could have easily bought the fertilizer, but he wanted to see how low I could go, basically. Um, and, and And so it's kind of a... It's kind of silly. I mean, it has no real point to it. Uh, so, but anyways, I I bought a pallet of fertilizer for like six hundred bucks, uh, like thirty percent less than I normally spend, and I only ended up using half of it for my entire golf course, um, just because we had such a tough winter, a tough summer. Um, we didn't grow a lot of grass last year, um, so it was uh, it was kind of hilarious. I think I think my entire fertilizer budget was like. With all the other fancy stuff involved, this was well well below a thousand dollars for for nine holes, ten acres of fairways, acre of greens, acre of peas, and uh, I don't I don't know if I'll ever do it again, but but it was it was certainly something that you know you can you know, write, write or tell your grandchildren about or or you know it, it's kind of a funny anecdote, anyways. Uh, how little we spent on fertilizer, and um, but again, it's not about. I mean, people people see that and they're like, oh well, you can't have good conditions, and and, and the opposite. I mean, it couldn't be further from the truth. It, it's about giving the plant what it needs, 
for my conditions and my clientele and, and our needs. And I mean, we have, we have great conditions in the summer. So I mean, I mean, the the diesel fuel applying the fertilizer costs well more than than the um, than the actual fertilizer. Well, you mentioned your bike. Do you still bike to work? Uh, that's something that's unusual. Yeah, I I mean, I started biking in 2015. Um, 2015, 2016, I biked every single day. I think I maybe missed maybe 10 days in two years. Um, but this year, it was just uh, it was just such a challenge. I uh, I think I only biked like 3,000 kilometers this year, which is about half of what I would normally do. Um, but I was I was pushing my body this summer. It was so hot. I mean. Uh, in 90 days, we had seven days where the high didn't go above, uh, didn't go, or where the high was above 90 degrees every day, except for seven days and 90 days, which is rare for us. And with two people, a failing irrigation system, um, I was pushing myself at work, you know, as much as I could, and and I found that uh, the biking was just was just killing me, so. So I cut back a little bit, you know, instead of biking you know, 120 to 200 kilometers a week, I cut it down to, you know, 60, 50, 60, and then uh, physical activity, it, it is good for you. And uh, I never regret a day on the bike, but I had to I had to cut it back because I was burning out. And, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, uh, I still bike as much as I can, but, but uh, not as much as I did in 2015 and 16. But hopefully this year I'll have more staff and I'll get back at it and uh, and uh, do as much as I can. I can attest to what Jason's saying. I sometimes bike to work my, myself. My ride I don't think is as long as Jason's, but it's a great way to clear your mind and get some fitness in and really uh, prepare for work, and it's also a great way to unwind after work. So I, I can't speak for you, Jason, but I, I would highly recommend that if you live within biking distance of your – golf course and it's safe give it a try every now and then my favorite time to bike is in the winter and the foul weather i mean it really it doesn't matter what the weather's doing um i mean, you might see those guys on the bikes in the rain and you feel sorry for them but there i mean i can guarantee you they're having a good time and uh and i mean it's so important for my my mental health just to to do that um uh i, I mean i found what was it uh since christmas I barely biked, and and I, I mean, tough time of year for everybody. And uh, I mean, it was, it was. A, I mean, the last couple of weeks were honestly a, a struggle, just kind of to have any motivation whatsoever. Even though I had nothing but the things like so many things to be thankful for. Everything was going so good, or it has gone good. But you know, when you get that kind of winter depression. So, anyways, I, I got and, and I had a cold, so I didn't wasn't too. Um, interest in biking, got back on the bike this week, and, and it was just like somebody flicked a switch. And then, then, you know, a couple blog posts go flying out there, and, I mean, it feels so much better. And, it, and it's really amazing. So, I mean, if you do struggle with depression or uh, anything mental-related, get on a bike, pedal your ass off, and, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if it helps. Anyways. You're pretty outspoken about some of the challenges you face balancing your job with your family, how have you been able to uh, improve that aspect of your life over the years? Well, I mean, it's something that I wouldn't say I'm good at it. It's something I work towards. I mean, kind of like everything. Um, but I think, the, I mean, just like with any problem, the first step is admitting you have a problem. 
and, and admitting that they're, even if you don't have a problem, admitting that it could become a problem, and, and, then, and then making sure that um, you reduce the, the chance that it could be bad. So you work towards, uh, you know, you put in an honest effort to, to make it work. And I mean, obviously, um, well, I don't know how obvious it is, but I, I feel that I could always be a better dad, better husband. Um, but it's something that I think about and I work towards um, uh, every day. And, uh, you know, like this summer, I could have easily been working 16, 18-hour days um, to get everything done. And I just told myself, you know what, I'm going to miss the entire summer with my kids if I do this. And and the winters aren't much fun either, you know, with the, the bad weather. So I said, you know what, after eight hours, I'm going home. And that's what I did. Uh, unless obviously there was like a catastrophic irrigation break or something, which was oh, quite often, but but you know what I would said, you know, the labor situation isn't my problem. I've done what I can, and I'm doing what I can on the golf course to give the golfers the best value for their money, and they were getting that, and uh, and I actually had no complaints this summer. I mean, it was the least amount of least complaints I've ever had, and we never did less, and. But we were really strategic on it, and and the whole point of that was so that I could go home, be with my family, enjoy the summer as much as I could. And uh, but obviously, I mean, I could have probably done more, and and if I had more staff, I probably would have enjoyed it more. But but uh, working towards it all the time, so I think that's important. How old are your children, and have you had a chance to bring them to the golf course at all? <laughs> they pretty much live on the golf course. Um, they are six and three. Uh, my oldest. He's just about to turn seven, actually. And, uh, I mean, they come out. They were on the course yesterday. I mean, great thing about the course this time of year is that it's it's virtually empty. So my family comes and they walk the dog every day almost, and the kids ride their bikes on the course. Um, you know, the cart paths are great for, for bike riding. And, um, and even, I mean, because my wife and I both work, the odd day, uh, you know, uh, we can't have, you know, I need to look after the kid, but I also need to be at work, so I can I can kind of pull that off, even with a three-year-old some days. I obviously can't go out and mow for, for eight hours with a three-year-old, but I can get stuff done around this, this shop and, you know, have a bunch of toys in my office that the kids play with. And so they spend a lot of time on the course, but uh, I try to make it positive for them. So, What are the economics of a nine-hole golf course like? I think a lot of people in the golf business are saying that the nine-hole model really fits what people have time to do to play golf. Just talk about the finances of a, a nine-hole course and some of the opportunities it provides for your members. I think there's, like like anything, there's, there's advantages and disadvantages. The advantages, I mean, um, we were talking about doing an 18-hole, 18 18-holes, 18 like in the early 2000s. They are talking about expanding. I'm really happy they didn't because we would definitely, certainly be out of business. Um, in Pender Harbor in the summer, there's so much that people want to do. And to dedicate an entire day to, to a round of golf just doesn't happen. So I mean, people, I mean, they love, they love, they love golfing just nine holes, um, and and then you know we get the odd people doing eighteen as well. Um, so that's an advantage I think um, that that people have that option. I mean, eighteen hole courses could do the same. I mean, nothing nothing wrong with only having people go for nine. But um, and then I mean, there's less area to maintain, which is which is certainly an advantage. Um, so it's easier for a small staff to do. Um, but then the disadvantages are, I mean, I still, we still need a superintendent. I mean, and you still got to pay me 
I make well below what an average superintendent makes, but but I still have to pay a superintendent a manager salary. So you still need that. Where you know the course next door to me, eighteen hole track, they only have one superintendent, um, and I still need a fairway mower. And the course next to me, eighteen hole course, they only need one fairway mower. So I mean, there are some expenses. I mean, I I I have one sprayer. The eighteen hole course next to me has one sprayer. So uh, we don't get the economy of scale. Um, on a lot of things, but but uh, I think we we have the the advantages that we can we can offer low cost golf that people can golf quickly. It's fun, and uh, uh, we we certainly try to make the most of those advantages. Jason, what's your plan for 2018? You had a really eventful 2017, and I mean this just jokingly. How do you plan on killing grass this year? <laughs> well. Unfortunately, we've had a really good winter, and there's no dead grass on the greens, so I won't be able to to play around with uh, you know uh, winter recovery um, like I did last year, which I mean was fantastic, by the way. Um, it was a lot of fun uh, and a great experience from my perspective. It, it was was uh, dealing with winter kill, um, but in 2018. Um, in the next month, I'm going to a golf industry show, like we've talked about. I'm also going to a uh, surf show on the east coast of Canada in Moncton, New Brunswick. And I'm doing a talk with Michael Woods, which is another crazy thing. Um, and so Michael will be there, so will Chris Tritaboff. So that's going to be fun. Um, I'm hoping we're just kind of going to have a good year where I can focus on... Um, just dialing in what I've been working on. Going to be, I mean, big big thing for me last year uh, was clipping yields and growth rates. Going to be really working on that. Kind of funny, you know. I, I kind of every year I kind of wonder about. Oh man, I'm ru- I've run out of ideas. What am I gonna? What's going to keep me going next year? And and for some reason, um, I keep coming up with crazy stuff to try. And and my curiosity and my everything. Um, I mean, I'm so excited for this year. To we kind of might might sound kind of funny, but I'm super excited to, to measure how much my grass grows and, and really dial in fertilizer use and to see how that impacts the operations. Um, and uh, I mean, I really don't know what's going to happen this year. Um, I've been surprised every year, so I mean, I, I try not to have too too much too high of expectations. Um, uh, as far as what, where I'll be, what I'll be doing, and uh, and, and all that, but that's kind of uh, as far as I can tell how how the year will go, and uh, and uh, and then we've been, I mean, I've been working really hard. I mean, to, to also improve the course. So I'm hoping that next year we can start with our new irrigation system replacement and fairway renovation. So all that hard work we've done to kind of realign our finances. I hope it's now coming to fruition where we can really um, make big uh, uh, improvements on the course. Well, Jason, I had high expectations for this podcast. You exceeded all of them. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, and thank you for being so open with your practices on Twitter and your blog. I know thousands of people in the industry appreciate it, and we look forward to seeing you in San Antonio Tonio, and if you have time, you better be you better be at the tweet up. You're you're a star at that thing. <laughs> I'll definitely be there, um, as long as I don't have a, a talk at the same time. But 
haven't really looked at it too much yet. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, enjoyed talking to you today. I mean, uh, I always enjoy a good discussion and, and, uh, and somebody to talk to this time of year. It's, uh, get a little bit stir crazy. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I look forward to, to hopefully meeting a whole bunch of people at, uh, at GIS and, and through other, um, other places and, and, and doing different things this year. So 